What you're about to hear was aired on Planet Philadelphia, environmental radio show on Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 FM, WGGTLP in Philadelphia, and on gtownradio.com. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning into Planet Philadelphia. I'm Kay Wood, the host and producer. Linda Rosenwein, our assistant producer reporter, is here with me. Today, we're on a call with Ginger Scoggins. She's the president of an organization called ASHRAE. Hi, Ginger. Thank you so much for talking with us today. Hi, thank you for having me. To start out, could you please tell us what ASHRAE is? I'm not sure many people are familiar with it. Yeah, we are the best kept secret. So ASHRAE is an organization formerly known as the American Society of Heating, Refrigerating, and Air Conditioning Engineers. So we have about 53,000 members worldwide in over 130 countries, focusing on uh, design and construction and operation for the built environment. Most of our members are consulting engineers, but uh, we have lots that are architects and contractors and owners and builders and operators. So that's who we are. What we do is we, we're basically at our heart a standards writing organization. We write standards for our industry that are accepted into code for how buildings should be built and operated. And could you tell us a little bit about yourself? I believe you're the president. I am the president since July 1st. Um, I'm the president through June 30th of next year. And I am a consulting engineer. I own an engineering firm in Raleigh, North Carolina. I am a mechanical engineer by training, and I have been doing this uh, type of work for the last over 30 years, actually, to be honest. I'm, I'm also a commissioning agent and a um, certified energy manager. What are the current goals of ASHRAE? Sure. So that's an interesting question because my focus this year is um, tackling the climate crisis. So the ongoing focus for ASHRAE has been writing standards for our industry, the major of which is an energy standard that's um, accepted by code pretty much throughout the world and mainly in the U.S. as well. So we write standards. 90, standard 90.1 is our energy standard that is referred to in the um, energy codes of our states. And so the focus has always been on energy conservation, as well as indoor air quality for buildings. We just recently re released a standard on pathogen mitigation for buildings uh, as a result of the uh, pandemic. And so our focus is on sustainability in the built environment and trying not to compromise, obviously, health, safety, and welfare when we're designing and focusing on energy reduction. We're also trying to turn our ship just not to focus on energy carbon, which is operational carbon, but to also focus on embodied carbon in buildings moving forward so we can reduce the impact of the built environment on the climate. You said embodied carbon. Just for folks who aren't familiar with the term, could you say what that is? Sure. Embodied carbon is the carbon that goes into our buildings during their construction with all the building materials. The, all the building materials have embedded embodied carbon, as well as through the operation of the building. That's operational carbon. And then there's um, the demolition of the building and uh, what you do with the carbon as you de demolish the building. So it's a full life cycle of carbon. 
in the building. Given that focus, tackling the climate crisis, what are you doing to achieve some of those goals? So our goal is to train our members how to design low and zero carbon buildings moving forward, right? So we have a lot of members worldwide that this is just becoming a huge component of what they have to think about when they're designing or building buildings. So we are getting information out there in terms of educational products for our members. We have uh, seven guides that are coming out for our members on how to design and operate and have grid interactive buildings so that they use less carbon in, in operations. We're also revising some of our existing standards to focus on carbon as well as energy. And we've got two new standards coming out that discuss how to uh, calculate zero net carbon and zero net energy buildings throughout their lifetime. You talked about tackling climate change. And does that include resilience? Because there's a lot of extreme weather events and other things going on. Absolutely. And we've been discussing um, how we tackle resilience within our strategic plan, because designing for the future means designing resilient buildings, obviously, because climate affected events are getting worse and and worse as as time goes on. So um, we're talking about resilience in terms of how that's going to be covered in our standards. We obviously, like I said, have that pathogen mitigation standard, which helps in terms of resilience, in terms of the pandemic or any issues moving forward with indoor air quality in buildings. And we need to address um, resilience in terms of climate-affected events moving forward. You mentioned that some new standards about how to measure the carbon in the buildings. Mm-hmm. Could you, in a not too technical way, say what would be different about those ways of measuring that? Well, there's a lot of different ways. There's a lot of different definitions on what a zero carbon building is and where you place that boundary line. Uh, if you place it at the building, you place it at the site, or you place it at the source. Uh, so this standard 228 defines how you place that boundary line in terms of defining your carbon footprint. It goes into much too technical detail to go in today on, you know, the inflows and the outflows of energy to make sure that you get to a zero carbon or low carbon energy performance. I would imagine as a time goes on in the use of a building, those numbers change. Well, the embodied carbon doesn't change. Once the building's built, that's set, right? But the energy, the operational carbon does change and it can get worse over time if buildings are not maintained, if they're not recommissioned, retro-commissioned over time. Uh, The energy performance can degrade. So you have to consistently, you know, every few years, recheck your building and make sure it's operating properly, that you've got all your control sequences in place. This is part of retro-commissioning and making sure your building is performing as it should. Talking about performance, there's a lot that's changing because we're having to adapt to a whole new energy system. So I would just like to get your thoughts about the making these changes. Well, I mean, buildings are a huge contributor to climate emissions, right? Almost 40% of climate emissions come from buildings. 
But a lot of that has to do with embodied carbon, first of all, which everybody's wrapping their arms around. There's a lot of options out there for the, the building structure in terms of low carbon concrete, low carbon steel, all of that. Uh, the HVAC community really just wrapping their heads around how to calculate the HVAC components of carbon. But, you know, a lot of this is dependent also on our grid and how clean our grid is. And different parts of the country have different factors in terms of how clean the grid is. You know, if we get to a clean grid and we eliminate fossil fuel use in our building, then we've got a pretty clean operational carbon footprint for that building. Do you include things like solar panels or geothermal as part of this? Yeah, that's how you get to net zero, right? You you offset what you pull from the grid with production at your site. You work with architects, obviously, but also there are some in your organizations. How would engineers approach things differently than architects? And how do you work with these architects? Every project is different, right? But you've got to meet people somewhat where they are in the whole in the whole conversation of climate change. There's still a lot of I guess you would say maybe climate deniers or or whatever um, that you got to see where people are on their page and meet them where they are. I think everybody can agree that energy reduction is never a bad thing. So that's that's the easy part of the conversation. The the harder part of the conversation is discussing embodied carbon. AIA is on top of that as well. They're working with their architects to make sure that the architects are ready to understand low carbon options, getting to a low embodied carbon footprint. So all the organizations are working to move that conversation forward. There are a lot of challenges to go forward and deal with climate change. What are some of the biggest challenges you see? I think the biggest challenges I see are, are several. One is it's turned into a political conversation and it's not a political conversation, right? This is a climate conversation. So we need to change that dynamic. We need to change that paradigm so we're not discussing politics when we talk about climate change. We're talking about climate change. So that's number one. Number two is just getting the information from manufacturers that we need to be able to do carbon accounting. So manufacturers have to go all the way back through their supply chain to get the carbon information in their materials. And sometimes you're dealing with small companies who don't have that information. So getting that information so that we as engineers, when we're doing a building, can do a full carbon accounting is a challenge right now. And I think that will get better, but we're in the stages of everybody trying to figure it all out. So um, right now, that is probably a challenge in terms of our day-to-day carbon work. So there's big picture issues like the whole political discussion. And then there's there's the detailed issues of doing the carbon accounting. That's a challenge. Another challenge is getting owners to understand that there's going to be costs involved with these changes. And, you know, you shouldn't just go in and rip out systems just because you want to rip out gas systems, right? You, you really need to look at the uh, embodied carbon of that, of pulling that out, putting something else in, as well as what the operational costs are, energy costs are for those items, just, just to do it smart. You don't want to just do it just to do it. You need to do smart building retrofits that reduce carbon and reduce energy uh, usage. So that's why owners should really work with engineers that know how to do this. 
and um, do it correctly. Because you could sometimes end up actually creating more carbon in the system than you remove. So, How do they find engineers who know how to do this? Well, that's the goal is that all the ASHRAE members <laughs> should know how to do this, you know, once we finish the work that we're trying to get done this year. So um, we're trying to turn the ship so that everybody can understand how to do full carbon accounting as well as just um, energy reduction. We've been doing energy reduction since 1975 when standard 90.1 came out. And so, you know, everybody is on board with energy reduction. It's getting the focus to be on the full life cycle of carbon that is um, right now the challenge. And what about resilience? Is that a challenge, getting people to understand what needs to be done there? Yes, that is a challenge as well. I think that, um, you know, good engineers are knowing to prepare for future climate events, but we don't all know what's going to happen in the future. We don't know how bad it's going to get. So there's a lot of information out there on how to design resilient buildings. So, you know, the folks in our industry should be up on that information in terms of what they need to do moving forward. What do you see for ASHRAE and engineers as their role in improving building codes in various locales? Again, some of that turns into political discussions because energy codes in different states are at different levels. And uh, there's some pushback on updating energy codes because there's a fear of cost increases. So ASHRAE, as you know, writes the standards. We don't write the code. It has to be adopted by code by the ICC, by the International Code Council for most states and for some states for IAPMO, which is more in the Western states. And so um, we're actually writing one of our, our new carbon standard in conjunction with ICC. So the hope is that would make it easier for adoption. There is a federal a model code that states are supposed to follow, which is based on ASHRAE 90.1. Right now, I think it's 2019, 90.1-2019. But several states um, in their local and state codes do not have energy codes. And so trying to get uh, those states to understand the importance of energy reduction is a challenge that we're working through. You mentioned about politics and I was wondering, does ASHRAE advocate with, like, say, states' governors, or, or is that not an appropriate role? I don't know how that works. Um, we are a 501c3, um, so we can't lobby, but we can advocate. So we have a government activities committee that works with state and local government and federal government to talk about things that are needed from ASHRAE. You know, if there's a bill coming out that affects engineers or affects what we do, affects our standards, we advocate, we send letters. We have lots of days on the Hill where we go talk to government officials and let them know that we are there. We're here to help. We're here to provide whatever information they need. So we do as much as we can do within the confines of our structure. Um, But we're very active working with state, local, and federal government. Have we missed something? Is there something people should know that we haven't covered? I think that the average person does not equate their home or their building to climate change. And, and, you know, as engineers, this is what we do. So we know 
what buildings contribute to climate change. But I don't think that the average person sitting in their house understand that the systems they use, if they have gas furnaces or gas appliances or whatever, contribute to climate change. And um, somehow to get the word out for folks to say, you know, if I'm going to replace this unit, maybe I, if I can, maybe I replace it with a heat pump or something with a little less carbon footprint in the future. I think that would make a huge difference in terms of the building contribution to greenhouse gas emissions. You know, the U.S. is terrible in terms of our carbon footprint per person. We're like double a lot of the rest of the world. We have bigger houses and we drive further and more cars. And um, we're really a strong contributor to the climate crisis that we need to, We really need to think about that. Because we're in a developed country, like a lot of developed countries, our buildings are older. So older buildings typically have a higher footprint. It's easy to me to design a new building to be a little carbon less intensive, but older buildings, their operation is key. You know, renovating older buildings can save 50 to 75% of embodied carbon, depending on how you renovate them. So renovating buildings is encouraged as opposed to building new buildings. But if they're not operating properly as they sit today, then, um, you know, they might be pretty carbon intense and without someone looking at them. It would seem to me that the owners of multi-unit buildings, large buildings, uh, might need help in understanding how to run these buildings efficiently, since many of the people who do that may have been there for a long time and not gotten the needed re-education. Yeah, we're working a lot with IFMA, which is the facilities managers organization to cross train. I mean, some of it is engineers design complicated buildings, right? So we design complicated buildings and we expect someone maybe with a high school education to understand how to run them. And there's no training between the two. So that is what we're trying to work on to make sure that we design buildings that operators can operate and operators understand how we design buildings. So that's a challenge that we are working through. How could people find out about all this? We have a great website. We have our building decarbonization resource page on our website, which is www.ashray.org. So there's a lot of information on that resource page if if folks want to look it up. Okay. And ASHRAE is spelled so when people are typing it into the search engine. Yeah, it's ASHRAE, A-S-H-R-A-E. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today. Take care. Bye-bye. If you want to know more about Planet Philadelphia, go to planetphiladelphia.com. You could also find out more about other G-Town Radio programming by going to gtownradio.com. I hope you will consider making a small monthly donation to help Planet Philadelphia continue presenting interviews on important underreported environmental topics and exploring their complexities and intersections. Thank you so much for your support.